0: Welcome to the Women on Fire podcast. We're on a mission to help you have your best menopause and rest of your life. I'm your host, Jenna Moore. I'm an accredited integrative health and menopause coach, and I've studied nutritional awareness, women's hormones through a functional medicine lens, and explored various modalities, including breathwork, mindset, and positive psychology. Join me and my guests as we discuss how to navigate the natural life transition of menopause and growing older. From waistlines, waning libidos, and what to wear now, we're over 40, we discuss it all. Women on Fire is sponsored by Menomi, a New Zealand-based Australian company by women for women. MenoMe specialises in scientifically validated all-natural supplements so you can experience freedom in menopause. Today's guest is the incredible Lisa Tamati. She has run some of the world's toughest endurance races from the Sahara to the Himalayas. She pushes her body and her mind to the limits. She's had many wins in her life and also many fails. She's suffered heartbreak and baby loss. And she has also brought her mum back to being a functioning human being after suffering a an aneurysm and serious brain damage at the age of 74. To say she has overcome obstacles, faced her fears, and pushed through barriers is something of an understatement. She's also the author of three bestsellers, an international speaker, and she also has her own podcast, aptly titled Pushing the Limits. In addition, she's an expert on epigenetics, DNA, and mindset. Hello Lisa, welcome to Women on Fire, thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh thank you so much for having me, I'm um, uh absolute honour to be on your show and thanks too for coming on mine, I really appreciated that.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you for having me, it was great to talk to you and also to get to know you.
1: Oh yeah and I think yeah, we'll be friends from here on in, I think we've shared so many unfortunate uh, experiences that we sort of had quite a lot in common really, didn't we?
0: yeah yeah it's it's actually a beautiful thing about having these chats and about interviews that you do get to know a deeper part of someone um or more so than if you went out and had coffee with them. exactly
1: yeah you do you, especially with these podcasts where you get to share some of your stories and your learnings and your you know the experiences mm-hmm. that you've had, and that's the whole point really i'm I'm all about sharing and um
0: you know the good the bad and the ugly (laughs) really (laughs) and thank you for that because it it takes guts i think and it you know it can feel a bit vulnerable at times as well but um as you know we're about midlife and perimenopause menopause and postmenopause but i have to say and for those who can see it on (laughs) youtube lisa's book relentless if you can't see it her book is called Relentless how a mother and daughter defied the odds so fortunately for me I was able to finish this on the weekend and I was flabbergasted <laughs> and I went through wows and tears and wow I can't believe you did that and it's it's there's so many facets to it like from from your incredible endurance races, to your mom having an aneurysm and suffering severe brain damage at the age of 74 and you bringing her back, that takes tenacity and oh my gosh, it was so inspiring. And also then you've had the grief of baby loss. And I want to ask you about that because menopause actually is the end of fertility. So, um, you know, a lot of women and I've been there myself have to come to terms with that and that yeah. can be difficult. Very yeah. so how did you get into endurance training, Because <laughs> racing? Because you were a jeweler, weren't you?
1: Yeah, well, I've had many uh, careers. Um, I've got ADHD, I reckon, so I just <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm very curious. So I just always sort of um, into so many different projects and, you know, it's been my downfall in some ways because I just love, you know, exploring new areas and um, diving deep into things. Um, to answer your question about ultramarathoning, so uh, did ultramarathon, and extreme long endurance events and expeditions and that type of thing for about 25 years. Um, got to experience incredible, amazing uh, things, you know, all around the planet. So uh, for those who don't know what ultra endurance is, that's like running, kilometer, you know, like kilometre distance, like 100 kilometres, 200 kilometres, 300 cl- kilometres across deserts, across mountains, Um uh, I've done over 70,000 kilometers in my uh, career of racing and training and raced a couple of thousand kilometers in the Sahara and the Moroccan desert, the Arabian, the Libyan, the Gobi in uh, and, and China, uh, the Nepalese Himalayas, the Indian Himalayas, Outback of Australia. At one point, I ran right through New Zealand for charity doing 2,250Ks uh, in 42 days, which nearly bloody killed me. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and just had lots of successes and lots of failures along the way as well. And um, I was just really – I love adventure. I love pushing the limits. I love – and I grew up in a in, a, in a, an environment where physical and mental toughness was very valued by my dad, especially. My dad was a very hard ass, you know, like one of these tough old buggers, <laughs> and he expected a lot from us uh, as kids. And and you know, he was a brilliant dad, but he was a, he, he was he was tough, you know. So you didn't, you know, you sort of take a teaspoon of concrete and harden up was the sort of. Um, thing Jeepers. yeah <laughs> and so as kids you know we we, we 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 did harden up we did get a little bit tougher and then in my I got into ultra marathoning actually after I'd been in a five-year-long relationship with an abusive um, person who shall remain nameless um, mm-hmm. uh, in my early 20s and he was an extremely good sportsman and and um, athlete and we did lots of traveling together and we did lots of adventures and he really you know, showed me the world, and it was a wonderful experience from one side, but on the other side, a very negative, abusive, emotionally abusive um, relationship, and um, I was never good enough, and I was just hopeless at everything, and I was just, you know, a piece of shit in his yeah. eyes sort of thing. And as when you were young and you're in love and he looks like Brad Pitts, um, you, you yeah. know, <laughs> you don't yes. you don't know to walk away and leave. And I and I've never been a person to quit very easily anyway. So I'm always sort of hung in there and he'd had a rough childhood and always made excuses for him and, you know, all of that sort of jazz. But after years of being in this environment where you're constantly put down, I had absolutely no self-esteem. And this culminated when we were doing a expedition across the Libyan desert. And this was a four-person expedition, first time that we'd actually been with other people because we'd always traveled on our own, done everything on our own. And when we were on our own, he had sort of complete control over who I was and what I did. Um, and this was the first time that there were a couple of other guys there in the mix, and it was led by a guy called Elvis, and that was his real name, and he was a Yugoslavian survival expert, and he was in charge of the expedition. And we had to cover 250-odd kilometres across the Libyan desert, a military-barred zone. We weren't allowed to be there. It was illegal, so we had to sort of disappear into the desert. We had huge, great backpacks on our backs to carry all the water because there was no water en route. So we had to carry uh, enough to survive for 10 days. And we only had two litres of water a day, which if anybody knows and does the maths, it's not really enough to survive in the desert. Um, and so we were trying to get through in seven days, but we had enough for emergency for, for 10 days. So we only had two liters of water a day. And um, this was meant that we were a severely dehydrated, severely dehydrated from pretty much pretty you know day two of the, the, the crossing. And we were meant to be covering 45 kilometers a day to get through in that time. And with 35 kilo backpacks, like I weighed about 58, 59 kilos. So that was like two thirds of my body weight, you know, like just to walk was massive. Um, I had to get help to get up and, you know, things like that. And the boyfriend, we were trying to do a book and he was a photographer and um, he wanted me to help set up tripods and do this sorts of things. And Elvis said, well, you can take as many photos as you like, but we're moving and we got to keep going and you got to keep up. And – the, the boyfriend was like, well, you got to help me do this stuff. And I'm like, I can't, you know, like I physically can't. I'm trying to keep up with the guys as it is and just not able to. And so this ended up being a big fight and um, Elvis um, was seeing how he was treating me and he was like, hey, hey, man, you can't talk to her like that and you can't do that. That's not appropriate and that's not right. And, you know, and started sticking up for me basically and nice. um then these two alpha males sort of went at it right that <laughs> 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 this wasn't you know I'll, I'll treat her how i like and i'll do what i like and she's you know this and that anyway day four we we're all severely dehydrated and it's icy in the in the group and we you know hot environment very icy cold temperature as far as how we felt towards each other and um In the middle of this, the boyfriend says, right, that's it. The relationship's over. I'm leaving you after a big blow up and disappears over the sand dunes. Oh, no. (laughs) And leaves me there, like with the other guys. So I was with them. But I didn't know whether he was going to survive or whether we were going to survive because we were severely up shit creek. We didn't have enough water. And, you know, it was one false step out there, twist your ankle, you're dead, right? And um, he disappears. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And and I started to fall apart because my relationship and I love you and, you know, all of that mm. sort of crap. Um, and then I sort of felt... Re- so, hang on a minute, I'm in the middle of the Libyan desert, I can't fall apart here, I have to get my shit together, I owe it to the other guys to not cause any more problems and to get on with the job. So I promised them that I was fine, I was going to be okay and uh, let's just get on with it now that we're down to three and then everything, we worked really well as a team and we you know did, did well Cut a very long story short, it was a real low point in my life and I did survive yes. the Libyan desert, <laughs> spoiler alert.
0: I don't know how. <laughs>
1: don't know. Yeah, it took me a long time to recover physically because there was a lot of damage mm. done to the kidneys and things like that. Um, and it was pushing the limits. A couple of days later, we really ran into some big trouble and you have to read the book for, for all of that. But what it came out of it was that, okay, I, I realised in the aftermath at least that this was a very abusive relationship and this was not okay how I was being treated. And that I had to get out. And it took me three years to actually get, a, get away because it was wow. not like he was, you know, very, very, um, yeah, it was, it got abusive, more abusive. And so it was really tough to get out. It took me three years to get out. And of course, mentally, I was very, very damaged by then. Yes. Um, mm. But what I decided when I did get out, I wanted to have more adventures, but I had nobody to do it with anymore, right? And then I heard about this race in the Marathon de Sables, it was called, a race in Morocco, and it was touted as the toughest race on earth. And I'm, you know, reading about this amazing race where they run 240 kilometres across the Sahara and the Moroccan Sahara, and they have doctors and they have helicopters and they have journalists and they have nine litres of water a day and they have all of this stuff. And I'm going, what? That's the toughest race on earth. Well, that, you know, compared to what I just been through, that doesn't sound too bad. I reckon I can do this. So I'd never run a marathon. I'd never done anything like that. Um, But I signed up for this race. And then I started to work out how to train for it and went, went down and did it and had an absolute ball. It was tough, it was hard, but it was nowhere near as tough and as hard as what I'd been through. And I was wow. surrounded by people that were just positive and, you know, supportive and telling me how amazing I was doing and I was great and I wasn't useless and terrible and no hope and, you know, all of the things that I've been told for years. And so that really made me addicted because all these positive people telling me I was doing great, this was exactly what I needed, right, because my psyche was mm. pretty smashed up. And so then I got addicted to old marathon, running <laughs> and then I just did one race after the other after the other and the rest, as they say, is history.
0: <laughs> how does the body, I mean, I know our bodies are amazing things, but how do they cope? With running for days and days and hours and hours,
1: I'm 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 so surprised I'm alive. <laughs> like to be <laughs> honest, when I look back and with the knowledge that I have now of the body and yes. anti-aging and longevity and how to keep yourself well and all the stuff I know now and I study now, um, I'm horrified at some of the stuff that I did and how hard I pushed it. Back then oh. I didn't have no idea of anything and naivety is sometimes a bonus because you just yes. bowl on in and you just do. And uh, when you're younger, you do recover, you know, you your things recover. Yeah. I did get a lot of damage and I wasn't able to have children and I did, you know, have a massive amount of inflammation and uh, kidney problems and, you know, I had a lot of issues. But the body did you know recover and respond and and get better and you got stronger from the training but then you would tear yourself to pieces in the actual races and then it would take up to six months to recover and of course when you're doing this back to back that's when the problems start to rise and you start doing it for year in year out year in year out and of course your hormones oh my god the hormone problems that i developed as part of that i think there was some genetic stuff as well um Yeah so there was definitely damage um, but it is amazing what the human body can can go through but I think ultramarathoners tend to underestimate the damage that they are doing and how they are aging their bodies. Um, oh, so now I don't do ultramarathons and that's one of the reasons why now I've retired also because I've got mum yeah, and uh, looking after her and running businesses and have other priorities but one of the biggest reasons that I did give up at the age of 48 was because I knew that I was aging myself and I was not going to live as long and as healthy as I wanted to if I continued to go at that sort of a level. And I realized too that in your 40s things started to change, you know, from a hormonal perspective but also from the, the exhaustion. It started to add up, all the things that you'd been through in life and there were some big curveballs in there. Um, that you started to get, you know, HPA axis problems and, you know, adrenals, you know, not working like they should be and things like that. Um, and and then with the journey with my mum, who had an aneurysm seven and a half years ago, as you said, um, and co- suddenly being confronted um, with the situation and going, she was left with massive brain damage and the doctor's all telling you there is no hope, there is nothing That we can do basically put her in a rest home or institution she's 24 7 care nothing to be done and i'm just going i've always been told in my athletic career it's impossible you can't do it nobody's done it you know whatever and i just always have gone you don't know you don't know what people are capable of and i've proven them time and time again wrong in the athletic space why not in the medical space so with, again, that naive and determined, bloody-minded attitude that's motivated by love, yeah. um, I dived into the literature and started to research things and started to come up with my own protocols and my own way of approaching things, including things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, keto diet, Which is incredible. Yeah, oh, oh. functional neurology, everything I studied, I studied and stayed one step ahead of her as she started to come back. And The other advantage of being an ultramarathon runner is I knew just how to (laughs) just put one foot in front of the other, don't measure, don't look, just keep going, just keep going, keep going, keep grinding. So I knew how to do that. And I did that with her. And we would have months at a time where there was no progress. She was massively brain damaged. So you, she couldn't, she couldn't sit without flopping to the side. She couldn't put food in her mouth at the very beginning. She couldn't, she had a couple of words that she kept repeating, but no idea what anything she couldn't speak you know um no idea i was a daughter nothing like that uh and then slowly seeing her come back but very slowly and there would be months when you had no progress and it was in those months that i just doubled down and went harder and researched more and did more and developed all these protocols and the hyperbaric was a key key factor in her cornerstone of her recovery because hyperbaric is very powerful for brain injuries and for so many other things because it hyper oxygenates the body and it p- uses the body's own healing mechanisms to to um to recover so it helps with brain healing helps you know with wound healing diabetes strokes heart attacks pretty much if you want to know about hyperbaric i've got a clinic so come and come and see me that's what i do one of the things i do now it's um, amazing. But th- that it took me two and a half years to get her back to full capacity again. She had her full driver's license, which when I walked into the doctor's surgery with her um, – and I, uh, we, we were ready to get a driver's license. Everyone thought we were mad, My, including my family, thought it was completely mad that mum would ever drive again because she couldn't even drive a wheelchair. And I was determined that she was going to have a driver's license. And she was determined that she was. And this was, uh, you know, two years into the, to the rehab where she got her marbles back, so to speak. And she was taking, you know, she was walking and doing little bits. And I went back to a doctor who hadn't seen her in a year and he knew how bad she had been, and he comes into the waiting room and calls her name, expecting to see her in a wheelchair, and mum, mum stands up, walks over to him and says, I'm here to get my driver's licence, and he nearly, he ne- he just was just like, oh, my God, it's a miracle, it's a miracle, you're walking, you're talking, you've come to get your licence. He couldn't believe it, he was in tears, and um and he did all the tests on her, the eyesight tests. Uh, she'd got her peripheral vision back even. She had all the reaction tests done. And he said, yep, you're good to go. Go in. You have to go and sit your driver's license again with a, you know, um, test. But you, you've got permission from the medical perspective. You've got your brain back now to a point where you can be a, a functioning adult and go and get your driver's license. And so that was huge, you know. And we did that. Huge. Mm. And we went – and the first time we did the driver's license, she failed um, – the test because she didn't indicate somewhere on a roundabout or something. And so then I went and got an instructor and he took her, or she took her took mum through um, some some proper lessons. And then we went back again. And I was devastated when she first failed because I was like, oh, no, I've set her up for failure and now she's been so, you know, wanting this and she's failed. And mum was just like, oh, no, we'll just come back and sit it again in a couple of weeks, you know, which we did. And next time she passed and got her driver's licence back. You know which was just absolutely phenomenal for someone who was not much over a vegetative state to be driving a car having control over her finances again having control over her life
0: independent driving to her friends you know and doing all of that um it's incredible incredible journey it's amazing what can be done isn't is isn't it and when you don't take no for an no answer for <laughs> no i suppose as well no um and that hyperbaric oxygen just sounds amazing i wish i'd known about that i had a beloved aunt that had a stroke it might have been helpful oh, absolutely because she lost the peripheral vision yep. like you talk about in the book and things like that Yep. so it's just incredible cycling back to the marathons and how you feel that that has might with your hormones as well Like when we're 20 or 30 perimenopause what's that yeah yeah menopause what's that <laughs> oh you know we just expect that our bodies will pop out a baby because that just seems to be this do. the way yeah that it works um it's only when we delve into it that we find it's a bit more complicated than that and certainly a lot more complicated with that and so if you aren't successful with fertility and there is baby loss menopause actually is by its very nature the end of fertility and there's a grief that comes with that yeah so do you mind if we talk about that because I know that's quite a vulnerable oh yeah and I'm right
1: in the middle of it you know like let's be Mm. honest like I'm in the I'm 54 and always in complete denial that I'm older, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm Peter Pan, I'm the female Peter Pan, I'm, you know, in my own head. And I think that that's actually important that you are young in your head because, yeah. and they've shown that in studies actually, that if you think you are younger, you are younger, like biologically younger. However, <laughs> there are certain mm. things you can't like stop, like menopause, you know, yeah. we can um, slow things down, we can optimize, we can, um, we can do things to relieve the symptoms of it. Um, for me it, it has um, been a, a journey of tragedy I, we we lost one baby to um, a miscarriage uh, early early on and I met my husband because I've been married before so my my, my husband now hazley the only one that counts um, <laughs> he's yeah. wonderful I didn't meet him till I was 45. And right. so we started trying immediately, really, because we knew mm. that we were in deep trouble. And um, we we managed to get pregnant, which was against all odds already at that age, right? Um, yeah. But unfortunately, we lost our baby at three months. So that was the first miscarriage. And then I was like looking into IVF and, you know, that type of thing. And um, then we looked into surrogacy and we had a wonderful, wonderful Lady um, who offered to be a surrogate mum for us, which was just absolutely wonderful. Her name was Nicole, and um, and so uh, she got pregnant. We did it ourselves. <laughs> Won't go into the details. What? My husband's uh, sperm and uh, her egg, so not my egg. Um, right. And so she was our surrogate and, and we, she got pregnant the first time we did this and um, everything was just amazing and wonderful and until it wasn't. And um, mm. unfortunately, a uh, little boy, Joseph, was born with spina bifida um, oh. and he, he died, um, you know, within a couple of hours and it was severe uh, spina bifida. Um, so heartbreaking. It, it was absolutely heartbreaking um, and it was, you know, to, to hold your baby this beautiful mm. little boy um just absolutely mind-boggling pain i'm so sorry and, and for her to have um her go through that as well um, yeah. and you know for my husband to know that that was probably at last shot um it was really doubly hard and you know and it was just crazy. It's just one of those things that happens. I mean, her, child, her children before had been healthy. She's had another one since, and that one's been healthy. Um, so just, just, just bloody bad luck, really. Um, and uh, you know, that, that's taken a lot to get. You don't get over it, really. Do you, you just you just carry on no. and function? Um, yeah. And then to go into menopause and, um, and then I was going to go through IVF myself and they said, look, you're actually so fit and so strong and so healthy, um, you can carry. And I'd gotten rid of, I'd had a, um, a big bout with fibroids in the middle of that as well. <laughs> so at that time when we had the surrogate mum, I couldn't carry because I had massive fibroids. And then I, right. um, we got on top of that. That's another story in itself. Um and uh, I was then able to carry. So then they said, well, you can carry. And then COVID happened. So oh. I got another egg donor and, and then COVID happened and that just shut everything down. And 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 then now I'm 54 and I've got mum, you know, who's got yeah. severe, um, you know, she's full, full-time. She's doing well, but she's still a lot of work, <laughs> put it that way. Um, yeah. And, you know, I... <laughs> It's really too late now. They said they would do it up to the age of 55, but I haven't got it. Did an egg. they? Yeah, up to the age of wow. 55. And then after that, I would have to get special, you know, dispensation. But I'm extremely fit. Um, yeah. So they, they were quite happy for me to, to do that. Um, but I've lost the egg donor now. And so, oh. you know, we just don't seem to – doesn't seem to be on the cards for us. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, which is, I think the hardest thing for me is knowing that my husband would be such a wonderful dad and uh, because he's gone out with an older lady, because I'm older than him. Oh, are you? (laughs) Call him my toy boy. He's like 10 Mm. years younger than me. He'll he'll never have that opportunity and that that saddens me immensely. Right. Um, That's, I think, the hardest thing that I sort of have to deal with on that front. You know, I can sort of accept it for myself, but really hard to see um him not not have that opportunity to be the wonderful dad that he would be um mm. and then you you know you try and reconcile it in your head well that's you know the world's in a pretty messed up state <laughs> so yes. do you want to bring a child in here anyway you know and you try to justify you know to yourself to the to the point where you you, you can function and cope and get on with things that you have to because you don't have a have a big choice in the matter really you know it's- it's a lot to come
0: to terms with, though. Yeah, it, and I don't it, think
1: I'm in, by any stretch of the masi- uh, imagination through the grieving process. I, I, the, you know, I think it's still um, – there's still always that little bit of hope, even though it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I still set cycling-ish. Um, mm. and um, Oh, really? Know, yeah, wow. so I'm still in the middle of the menopausal changes, you know. Right. So I might get yes. a period every three months or so um but you know it's long gone really but you know how that little bit of hope <laughs> little yeah. bit of hope, still lives in in your head um, yeah and it's I don't know
0: that it ever goes away
1: actually. no I think you know and, and and now I'm like relying on the scientists going hurry up with your longevity and anti-aging stuff and reverse the aging clock yeah. so then
0: I can go because back and do happen. it again it will happen will actually
1: happen. And, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, on, on, that, on that front, I am very much up on the science on all of that sort of stuff, and they, they will be able to do that type of thing. Whether whether that will be allowed and stuff mm. um, is another, you know, mm. the ethics of all of that. I don't know, but
0: um, yeah, you it never would know. be interesting <laughs> to know to have studied you from back in your twenties to now and see because you are very fit but then you've done those really massive bodily taxing things yeah to see how that has all affected your hormones because you work with DNA and epigenetics, epigenetics right yeah, yeah so if you bring that into your hormone and menopause and you know the evolution of women yeah basically so how does that work that's can you explain epigenetics? Yeah.
1: So I uh, yeah, do a lot of health coaching like you do, yeah. and um, I sort of focus in on um, DNA and epigenetics as, well, as one part of the stuff that I do. Also do, you know, Dutch testing and thyroid and all of that sort of jazz as well. Um, but I love the genetics to give us information about what genes are at play and how are they expressing. So the, I have two programs that I'm using. One is called epigenetics, and epigenetics is looking at your genetics, but also, how those genes are actually expressing. Because genes are a bit like light switches that can be turned on and off by the environment. So you may have inherited from mum and dad your genetic blueprint. But you may have a predisposition to certain things, but because you're not exposed to, a, say, a negative and bad environment, you, those things never happen because you never turned on those switches, if right. that makes sense. Mm. So that's epigenetics. How does a, um, the environment influence which genes are, are uh, turned on and which are turned off, For the simplified explanation. So if I give an example, um, every day, all day, we are flipping switches on our epigenetic an epigenome. Um, so, if I go into a sauna and I start sweating, I've just turned on a cascade of of different of different genes that are then creating proteins and doing different things in my body, sending instructions out to change my physiology. Um, for example the sauna if I go into the sauna the genes that regulate the BDNF the brain derived neurotrophic factor are all upregulated and I get more of that BDNF which helps protect my brain one of the reasons why sauna is really good for people um, you know to combat against neurodegeneration Alzheimer's that type of thing Um, it's also causing you to sweat which is Detoxing your body and getting rid of some stuff, you know, it's um, helping with heat shock proteins, which is the folding of proteins that the body makes. Hundreds of thousands of different proteins, and these all have to be perfectly folded, like little origami things <laughs> structures. And the heat shock proteins make sure that those structures remain uh, properly folded. I have probably butchered the science there a little bit, but. Um, in essence, that's sort of what's happening. Um, so we, I did Yeah, mm. yeah, we have. It's one of the uh, hallmarks of aging is the um, the f- misfolding of proteins. So the proteins in our body start to get folded wrong. So if you can imagine a sheet that you've folded and put it in your cupboard, well, this sheet's got you know it's not been folded correctly and it's not nice and tidy and neat mm. and doing what it should be doing. And then it, it causes damage in the body because it's folded incorrectly. So things like sauna can help with that. Um, and there's like, uh, well, I think at the last count, there were 13 different hallmarks of aging, different things, areas that we can attack to um, try to slow down the aging process. And that's one of the, one of the things, that, that misfolding of proteins. Um, so epigenetics is basically giving you a lifestyle framework to what to eat, like, you know, right down to each of the single foods that will be good for you, not your neighbor, but for you, Um, when to eat, uh, the circadian rhythm that will suit you, like, should you be eating um, early in the morning, or are you better to have yours at lunchtime, or how often should you eat? Uh, are you someone who should only eat once or twice a day or are you somebody who has a shorter digestive system and they need to eat four times a day, maybe five times a day, smaller meals? Um, do you have a predisposition to not having enough digestive enzymes and we need to support that because you're likely to have you know, nutrient deficiencies if you don't get that support. Um, everything mood and behavior, immunity, cardiovascular, uh, fertility, and as far as the, or the hormone cascade, And things go Um, that's going more into the DNA testing which I do which looks at what genes you have in relation to your hormones Um, and this is very insightful and I would love to have every young lady do this because then you'd be able to know what you might be in heading for so as a young girl I had um, problems with my periods very very heavy heavy periods uh, that would last one or two months Mm -hmm. I now know yeah I Mm -hmm. now know that I probably had endometriosis it was undiagnosed what did they do they stuck me on the pill Thanks very much. Um, The pill, while it gives us um, freedom from having to have children we don't want to, which is definitely our right, we have to have informed consent of what the pill does to our body, and that was not the case back then, of course. Um, Now we know that the pill does a lot of bad things in the body. You know, damaging the the gut lining and uh, um, changing your 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 chemistry of your brain, so that you may pick the wrong partner, you know, right down to that level, all these sort of things that are now coming out in the woodwork years later. Um, and, of course, 85% of the world's popu- female population has been on or is on the pill. Yes. And so mm. we've just done this massive experiment on women. woman, and I was on the pill for years and years and years because I had problems every time I came off. And when I was on the pill, mm. it masked it all, but it was a Band-Aid on a festering wound that then came out later. So when Mm. I tried to have children later, that's when I ended up having adenomyosis and fibroids and um, all of that sort of jazz happening. Now, a lot of those are estrogen driven too. Exactly. And this is where the DNA comes in. We can look at Mm. your CYP17A1 gene, for example, which tells us how much um, hormones do you make just from the get go. And then uh, do you convert it via the CYP19A1 very quickly into estrogens, or do you keep most of it as testosterone? What type of testosterone do you have, DHT or or the normal testosterone? Do, how do you process it out of the body? So all of these aspects of that hormone cascade we can see in the genetics, and then we can also see when we combine the genetics with a, something called a Dutch test, dried urine test mm. of complete hormones, then we can have a look at, okay, this is what your genetics tells me that you're probably doing. And then here's a snapshot of how you're actually expressing right now. Are you methylating properly? Have you got nutrient mm. deficiencies and therefore it's backing up in the system? Um, are you producing the inflammatory type of estrogen as opposed to the less inflammatory type, the two um, hydroxy estrogen, or are you? producing more of the 4-hydroxy which is the more damaging one um, all of these aspects and we can know, now if I'd known that when I was young I would have been able to go okay you definitely shouldn't be on the pill you know mm. I had a fast CYP17A1 which mean I made a lot of hormones which means I went into puberty at 12 which back then was quite early Yes, not now mm. because we have phytoestrogens in the environment and now mm. the children are going through earlier and earlier puberty which is a bad thing um, oh yes mm. yeah and then I produced quite a lot a uh, convert quite a lot into estrogens and I um, had quite a lot of estrogen dominance situation as well as testosterone dominance right. so I had a bit of the both things and some of that was good great for athletic stuff um, for to having a little bit more testosterone um, not so good for you know the odd hair popping out where it shouldn't or (laughs) those types of things um and so now I, I I've got it all sort of I understand where my genetics are at and I adapt my lifestyle my supplementation and I'm on hormone replacement as well um but the supplementation you know hormone replacement is a double-edged sword it's good in some yes. cases it's not in other cases and at least certainly for a,
0: not for everyone it's a personalized
1: mm. thing and this is where menomee of course comes in and why i interviewed you for my show because i want people to have those alternatives you know to to support them through this whole menopausal perimenopausal time um if they don't want to do HRT. And even if you are on HRT, then that can be a beneficial thing as well. Yeah, so you can be on both. Um, So it's a very complicated and nuanced conversation, which we don't have time for today. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I love doing that sort of stuff and helping people. It's like getting a user manual for your body as opposed to Jane's body next door because you're an individual and you need to eat for you and exercise for you and hormones for you
0: yeah we are all so different and it's so wonderful that people can learn that can discover that because you know i think for so long people have gone along and thought if they do what their friend mary's doing yeah then that's going to work for them but it it's not because we are also by an individual aren't we but um one of the things too with menopause perimenopause and menopause i always feel it's important to talk about perimenopause mm. as well as menopause post menopause because they are quite different parts of the transition Yeah, absolutely and quite often and i think this comes as quite a surprise to a lot of people but this will go back to the epigenetics as well is that we do need to give oftentimes not everyone but oftentimes our lifestyle and our diet a complete overhaul I mean sometimes that's not easy and um I wrote a wonderful paragraph from your book actually um well I wrote two but (laughs) I think it's really important you wrote people so often have a try of something and expect immediate results they want to walk into the gym and walk out with the perfect body they want shortcuts and the easy way out too many are searching for the magic pill the silver bullet bullet that in my opinion doesn't usually exist unfortunately some people aren't willing to put in the hard work and reap the real gains natural therapies having a good diet adequate hydration and exercise just don't work that way. They take time and persistence. And that is so, so true. Yep. And I think, you know, I always talk about with the people I work with baby steps. Yeah, if you can make little incremental baby steps, because it can be very, very hard to change the habits of a lifetime, or change that nightly wine that you love, or that daily caffeine fits that you love. And for some people, are fine they're not going to be affected by that but for others they are and also it puts a bit of a load on the liver which totally doesn't help with that estrogen no. methylation that bad yep, estrogen, estrogen methylation. You, you get more
1: estrogen dominance then yep
0: so i know you you are a fan of smart goals what tips would you give for our listeners if they were needing to make a few changes but we're finding it difficult
1: yeah i love that that baby steps i, I have another one there's a there's a book out um uh oh, what's it called it, it's it's about stacking tiny habits
0: oh is that james um
1: james, Habit? yeah yeah atomic yeah. habits that's the one and, and james i think Clear. yeah 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 it's a it's a very important to make micro changes and not to mm. do it all at once so, um, and this is, you know, one of the things as a, as a coach and a consultant I'm sometimes struggling with. I've got limited time. I want to download as much information as possible. But then the, often I think um, people sort of go analysis by, you know, paralysis, like overwhelm and do nothing. Um, yeah. And so I'm trying to, you know, change the way I approach that and, and have more of a hand-holding process and have another coach that I work with now that does a bit more of the hand-holding stuff because I'm like – dump here's all the information <laughs> and then go and see sally she'll take you through the process one more step by step and i'm off to the next thing because that's how my brain functions right yeah. um but just building little tiny uh habits into the day and routines we're very routine animals so so if we every time we create a habit in our brain it takes well they say it takes about you know somewhere between 30 and 60 times or days to to create a habit um, yeah. But every time you're doing it, it's becoming less willpower and more just automatic. And so the first couple of weeks of pain in the butt is you try to change something. So focus in on one thing that you're trying to change. It might be like, I'm going to go to bed at 9.30 every night, regardless. And that's the only thing that you're Boom. changing. Yeah. That's you, a great habit to get into. Yeah, it is. It is. And you focus just on that one change. You don't try to do that, plus that, plus that, plus that. Um, You try to do that one thing and maybe you set, you know, you're focusing in on the sleep routine and it culminates in the 9.30 going to bed. So that might be, you know, the blue light blocking glasses and powering down and doing a bit of gentle yoga at night and chamomile tea and maybe some magnesium and things to calm the nervous system down before you hop into bed and, you know, those types of things and then having a dark room, all the stuff that I do for sleep. But it's actually all related to that one thing. I'm going to bed at 9.30, you know. Um, Or I have a a very strict routine in the morning. I find my willpower is much better in the morning. My brain function is much better in the morning. So I try to do my interviews and my work in the morning. I try to get outside into the sunlight. And I stack these little habits. So um, before I even get out of bed, I've taken my HRV measurements. I know what my sleep cycle app is told me if I've had a good sleep so that I know whether I'm ready for a big day of uh, training or I need to back off I'm not not so good today and I need to just take it a little bit easier so reading your body and then I go and have a um, cold shower then I jump on the trampoline then I do a couple of minutes of yoga then I go and do my whole morning routine of supplements and which for mum takes an hour um oh my goodness. it's a massive mm. i'm like a mad scientist in the laboratory <laughs> putting your stuff together but we've yeah been through a cancer journey which we probably don't have time to get into today and therefore it's a very extreme uh protocol But that's my morning, right? So I have that all stacked up and my routine is set that way and it's now automatic. At the beginning it was really hard to do those things, but it comes easier and easier and easier because Mm. of the neural connections in our brain become like a highway. The first time you do it, it's like you're bushwhacking through the, the bush and creating a path, but the second time the path's a little bit, you can see it a little bit and then the third time and the fourth time and then it just becomes easier and easier and then it's no longer willpower it's just an automated robotic thing that you do just like brushing your teeth you know it just becomes something that you subconsciously do and then it's easy and then you know away you go so and I think to your point about when you get to your 40s you need to change up your hormones are changing and um you, it's not to say that we're weaker, more useless, getting older, anything else. It's just that I need to approach my training differently. Um, again, I, I, I go back to the genetics. My genetics, when I did my own genetics, it came back I should be doing shorter, much shorter training sessions. And they should be a mixture of high-intensity, explosive type of stuff like CrossFit and interval training as well as calming yoga, Pilates stuff that calms the nervous system down because I'm very hyper, um, got a lot of adrenaline, got a lot of stress hormones. So I need to get it out, but then I need to calm myself down. So that's my perfect regime. And when I did that and stopped doing the hundreds of hours of long running, it, my, my, my health just went like, just, it was just night and day. I was so much healthier, leaner. Like, I was fatter when I was doing the long-distance running than I've ever been. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. doing yoga. Cortisol. Yeah, cortisol. Mm. I was just cortisoled up the wazoo, and Mm. I was always carrying a good, you know, three, four kilos. It wasn't huge, but I was three or four kilos. And for someone who was exercising like a maniac, I was just like, what gives? Mm. Why am I getting fatter by doing cardio to the extreme? Now I know why. You know, body's gone into survival mode. Exactly. It's holding on everything it gets because it doesn't know if it's going to need
0: it. Um, Aren't they incredible machines, our bodies? We are.
1: And it, it makes mm. sense once you know what you know. And it mm. just drives you mad when you don't know what you don't know. And you've spent 20 years trying to run off the fat, mm. <laughs> but you were told, <laughs> you know, you must be eating really, really badly or doing something that you should be a stick. And then you watch other runners, and they are skinny so why but i that was my genetics my genetics are not set up for that other people's are
0: fascinating isn't it i mean i think we're so lucky to live in a time where there is that science oh and it's proving day and day i mean our knowledge i mean you know we live in um the time of information don't we um our knowledge is doubling or something every, every what is it? four every... years, I think. It, it's, it's getting faster.
1: Now AI is here. Oh, God. God knows.
0: I know. I'm scared of
1: that. <laughs> scared, yeah. but learning and leaning into it because it's coming anyway.
0: But so. there's this incredible thing I saw on Instagram the other day. It was the Today Show put it on. I shared it on my Instagram. And it was, you know, uh, Katie Couric, the well-known television presenters on the tv show in the united states yeah and i think it was in the 90s and they were talking about how the internet was coming and how it was weird <laughs> and how it was never going to take over their lives and you know they probably <laughs> would it was hilarious
1: yeah and that's exactly we're at another moment like that in time right now with the ai and um you can scream and shout and go i don't want this and this shouldn't happen and it's way didn't ask for this Mm. Which, yeah, it's, it's all true, gonna happen. but it's going to happen anyway. So, you better get prepared and you better work out how it's going to affect your job and your livelihood. And you better adopt it faster than yeah. everyone else because if you don't get at least the first mover advantage, yeah,
0: you're going you behind. to behind. You get lost.
1: It's yep. amazing. Like our older people now, like, mum doesn't know how to turn a computer on. Yeah. She's lost, you know, like if she, if she can't pay a bill. Because she can't use online banking, she, you know, like the, older people are just so. I, I just think it's terrible how we've taken away, you know, being able to pay in cash or go to the bank or, you know, like we've just left a, a whole generation in our wake. And if they don't have children that can look after them,
0: I know that's the scary thing. Terrible,
1: yeah. And that'll be us <laughs> with AI yes. if we don't keep up. <laughs>
0: you know well i think we've um i've taken it up enough of your busy time because you're really hard to nail down so i know how hugely busy you are and also looking after your mum and running businesses and you know, it's a lot. It's, a, it's lot. a lot, and
1: you know what it's like. And but you know, and this is why, like, I'm I'm so glad to have made meet everybody at Men O Me because they're so generous. Everybody has been so generous because, yeah, I had a, a lovely meeting with Lee, and I'm doing something in the supplement space, and she was just so generous with her time and her information, and you know, and this is what it's about: woman helping women. yes, um, or all of us helping all of us. You know, like just supporting each other and um. And, and not being precious with your you know your marbles so to speak and, and sharing and i love the team and that's what's
0: yeah. great about you too so it's it's wonderful to work with you but yeah we love we're all about women supporting women yeah. and being by women for women too because women understand each other particularly at this exactly um, stage of life. and <laughs> exactly. that's not to say that guys don't i mean no we love there yeah, are some yeah. wonderful um supportive guys out there i know but um yeah we do get what we're experiencing yeah we're the ones in our bodies going through this mm.
1: sometimes so we
0: are <laughs> we are very lucky i mean i mean we have got a very special team yeah yeah so.
1: yeah i've got a special team and i'm very glad to have met you all now and it's just absolutely wonderful
0: and i know i can speak on behalf of everyone else not just myself to say that. We're happy to have met you too. So thank you so much for your time. And oh, let's tell everybody where they can find
1: you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, So uh, LisaTarmati.com is my website. And, yeah, I have a few books out. I've got four books. Um, And I have a podcast called Pushing the Limits, which I would love people to subscribe to that. Um, And it's all health fitness uh, anti-aging, longevity, <laughs> how to slow it all down, all of the stuff that we've been talking about today. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find me. And on Instagram, at Lisa Tarmody, and on Facebook and on YouTube. I have a big YouTube channel as well. So make sure you um, check out all of those. i really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You're everywhere. I'm everywhere, That's right? And I have a hyperbaric <laughs> clinic here, <laughs> actually on the side of my house. So, um, a little clinic here. So, if anyone is in um, Taranaki District wants to check out hyperbaric, please, yeah, do do contact me as well. It would be great.
0: That's wonderful. Thanks, Jen. Well, thank you, and um, we will talk to you soon. Um, thank you so much for sharing all the vulnerable bits too because I know it's not easy. No. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> you always end up crying, especially when it's, you know, things like babies, you know. Yeah. And you have, you know, like I had a nightmare just two nights ago about it, you know, like it just doesn't – it's not like you're over it. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't go away, but so many uh, families have been through – these types of journeys horrible journeys mm. um and yeah. the more that we can share and support each other through those the better you know because it's, it's very like very best, painful you know? but um yeah it is. it's life mm. isn't it <laughs>
0: mm. uh, um thank you and keep up the good work thanks so much Jenna. lovely to talk